Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, and on YouTube. Joining me today, back for uh, a couple from a couple week hiatus, just because of scheduling. I was away on vacation. Thank you, to anyone who listened to back to back solo pods the last two weeks, talking NBA two weeks ago, talking quarterbacks going into the playoffs, which we are going to revisit. But joining me first time in a couple weeks, we missed you, Pat Boyle, my friend. How are you? Pete, what's up, brother? Um, I just want to say here first and foremost that I don't think it's a coincidence that my dad gets a New York Giants lamp for Christmas last year. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll take it. Room filler for the new apartment. And it's sitting with me right behind over my right shoulder as it has been for most of this year. And those of you who are watching on YouTube can see it. And it's no coincidence to me that I put a Giants lamp in my room and the Giants are now in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and Daniel Jones is balling out of his goddamn mind. You're welcome, Giants fans. You're welcome. I, I think to add to that, it's a almost um, a metaphor. It's a passing of a torch, right? Like a lamp is very similar to a torch. I think Mark Shenlugan, who's not here today, he didn't mean to, but he accidentally passed his Giants fanhood torch to you, Pat. And now you actually support this team and think about this team in a realistic manner. And if not realistic, maybe a positive manner. Whereas this so-called Giants fan, Mark Shenlugan, is the biggest Giants hater that I know. And I think Cody O'Connor, who's also joining us, has joined us many times this year, Cody I'll let you go in a second here. I think we officially, as the two Giants fans in our little group chat there, officially stripped him of his fanhood. Is that fair to say? Cody, what's up? Bro? Yeah, what's up, Petey? I'm, I was wishing that Mark would be here. Um, we're still arguing in the chat. And yeah, it's, if it's stripped. We're in the playoffs and you're still hating on your so-called team. I, I treat him now the same I'd treat like my Philly fan friends who are just, you know, like that hater but they at least are fully admitting it. Like they're not pretending to be this fan. And uh, I wish he was here to defend himself, to, to rebuttal with us. It would be fun. Um, but man, Sunday, what a game, what a win. I'm euphoric right now. Pat, if it is your lamp, then in the words of, of the great Brick Tamlin, I love lamp. Let's go, G-Man. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Very well played there, Cody. I, I don't know where I thought you were going there. I thought you were going to say something about rubbing the lamp or something along those lines, but that, that was very good. Um, it was remiss of me to not bring up the Giants win, right? I'm so caught up. Mark Lugan has so much real estate in my my head right now that we stripped his fanhood away from him. And we, he actually stripped it from himself because literally during the game, Cody, you texted and said, are you even rooting for the Giants right now? And he said, no. That's it. He just said no, because it happens, especially when, you know, people who are, are listening to this, who never done a podcast, never wrote a, a column or put their takes out there for the world. You know, not that we're some special people who have this crazy following. Obviously, that's not the case. But when you do this frequently and you put yourself on the line and you make takes, 
you know, it's really easy to sometimes root for your takes over your other feelings. I know Pat, you can totally attest to that. If not personally, then for anyone you've worked with where it's like, Oh, this person's a Knicks fan. All they do is crap on the Knicks because they had a take. They want it to be right. And now they're going to die on that Hill, even if they are, you know, dying on the Hill. So it's difficult. So I'm not blaming Mark. It, I actually, one thing that I don't know if he's fully understanding and we'll get to the specifics here in a second. I'm going way around about here, but I'm not that far off from Mark, right? And and his big gripe is that he does not think Daniel Jones is good. That is going to be a big question that we're going to talk about here in a minute because it's important to talk about it from a multitude of perspectives to say who is he as a quarterback, what's his ceiling, what's his floor, where was it six weeks ago, and then you know four months ago, and where is it today? Those things are all super important to kind of consider when you're thinking about paying somebody for four or five years over time with a whole boatload of money, that stuff we're going to get to for sure. We're going to talk about the giants. We're also going to talk about quarterbacks around the league after that as well. Kind of talking about the tiers. If you listen to last week's episode where I tiered out all the quarterbacks entering the playoffs, we'll discuss any movers, anybody who uh, Pat and Cody disagree with, and we'll obviously preview the divisional round of the playoffs. But before we get to all that, the NFL playoff picture is locked, and my go-to place for divisional round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kill off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of this round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action is so good, why would you bet the playoffs anywhere else? I bet the Giants last week with this no-sweat bet. I bet on them money line. I bet on them with the spread. And boy, was there not a lot of sweat, because I knew even if the Giants fell apart, I was getting my money back, but they took care of business anyway. So you might want to consider doing similarly this week. Maybe not the Giants, but maybe one of those other teams, maybe another underdog like the Bengals plus five. That's what I'm thinking. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So back to Daniel Jones here. That's the question. And Pat, I kind of want to go to you first because if you go down the archives of Subway Sports Talk Instagram feed here, you can find a video from two years ago. It's the original first year of Subway Sports Talk where you and I are talking about Daniel Jones. And you went on your little take saying, I see some of the talent and I can see this positive thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're on the positive side, but not crazy. I went on the other way and said, I need to see him win games. I need to see him make things happen I know the situation is not great, but until he starts actually doing something that matters, it's going to be hard to trust him in any way, shape, or form. You get the picture. Those things were all true for the next two years. Now, today, people can say with more confidence, they feel better. They always felt this way or et cetera. And then there's Mark. So Pat, right now, entering the divisional week, seeing what we saw all season long, what are you what are you thinking about? What are you saying when trying to talk about Daniel Jones as a quarterback in this exact NFL landscape? I'm going to say right in this present moment, and we had this discussion earlier today, you know, and you, if you think about how much talent a guy has or how good he is, if you're trying to put a quarterback into a ranking or a tier, that's one thing. 
based off what we've seen this year, and I understand Daniel Jones was mediocre in the past. I totally get that. I mean, Jalen Hurts was nowhere near an MVP candidate last year. Now he is. Based on, and we're, I, would, I would think most people have Jalen Hurts as a top five, top six quarterback in the NFL. Based off what we've seen this year, Daniel Jones is right on, if not inside, the top 10 quarterbacks in the National Football League. And I think he has continued to prove it all year. And I'm going to lay out three quick reasons here why. The first one, and it's pretty plain for anybody to see. I don't think anybody was picking the Giants to go to the playoffs this year, not unless it was some kind of fabricated hot take. We all picked them to go under seven wins. Most people thought they would win four or five. Year one of a rebuild. They have arguably the worst, the least amount of talent in the receiving core. Their number one receiver is a guy who played 20 snaps across two years with the Buffalo Bills, thrown to the scrap heap, practice squad receiver. He's now turned into the number one weapon for the Giants, Isaiah Hodgins. Kenny Galladay, who was supposed to be the number one guy, up until week 18 when he finally catches a touchdown pass, was, in, was invisible. Put him on a milk carton. And you've got a, ru- a run block first rookie tight end, Daniel Bellinger, as your primary weapon tight end. Sterling Shepard gets hurt yet again. Wondell Robinson, who had a lot of promise, gets hurt. So your number, your your top three receivers are this is Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, who drops a critical would-be first down game ice and catch. Still had a pretty decent game. Um, and Richie James, who is a punt returner, moonlighting as a wide receiver in the NFL right now. Saquon Barkley's been great. He's run the ball awesome when the offensive line has blocked for him. Uh, I think Saquon has been able to run for a lot of success this year, partially because of the threat of Jones's arm at times. I'm not saying he's got an elite arm, but you know that's been able to keep teams honest. If everybody knew Saquon's running the ball every single snap, it would get, he'd get shut down. And that happened for a couple weeks when the Giants went through that tailspin of the season, but also because of Daniel Jones's legs. He is right up there with Lamar Jackson. He is right up there with Josh Allen in terms of his danger in running the football. The, the Minnesota Vikings, as bad of a defense as they are, they knew full well, can't let them run. Can't let them run. Everybody knew all year, hey, got to worry about, can't you know, you can't let Daniel Jones run. And all he did this year was account for 700 yards on the ground and seven touchdowns on the ground. And having, you know, games where he's running for 107 yards against Jacksonville, running for 71 yards against Washington, running for 91 and two touchdowns against the Colts. So, yeah, people know he can run. And he's still that damn good. He is so fast. He's such a physical runner. And you don't think he is because he's this quiet Eli Manning-esque attitude, nice guy. But he's run people over. He gave a stiff arm. I forget who it was to the Minnesota defender. He has a stiff arm and keeps trucking, takes hits in the open field. So all of his, his skill sets combined, plus the fact that the Giants had basically zero talent offensively, um, and the fact that he has continued to get better as the year has gone on. It wasn't like, oh, okay, all of a sudden now, okay, we actually have to game plan for Daniel Jones now. We can't just game plan for Saquon because, you know, Jones stinks. Teams started game planning for him, and he is still beating them. And right now, this last four, seven, four to seven game stretch, where he has turned it over one time, two times, and he is now throwing for 300 yards, way more than he ever used to, where he's still running seven, eight, nine times again, 17 times against Minnesota. And he's beating teams with his legs when they know it's coming. He goes on the road in his first ever playoff game. On the road against Minnesota. Fraudulent, not fraudulent. They won 13 games. I'm so I'm so sick and tired of hearing that they were frauds. They had a good offense and a very mediocre defense that can get beat. Jones went on the road, and he absolutely fucking ripped them apart. 
And that is not easy to do. And I don't understand. Nobody, nobody can discount the performance he had on Sunday and the fact that he is turning those in routinely now. He's a leader. He takes care of the football. He's able to beat you with his arm. He's able to beat you with his legs. How many passes were on the money on Sunday? Hodgins, Slayton. Hodgins is a good, tall traffic, you know, he can catch in traffic receiver. Darius Slayton isn't that. Daniel Bellinger is not getting a ton of separation from guys. Richie James isn't getting separation from guys. He's putting those balls on the money. So I think it's it's so easy to just see the last three years from Daniel Jones and say, ah, he stinks. You know what? You know, I don't know how he's doing this, but he, he still stinks. He's not good. No, it, quarterbacks can evolve. Quarterbacks can change. And I think the thing above all is that he's got a, a coach and he's got an OC that fucking trust him especially now more that the season has gone on. Mike Kafka and Brian Dable, the jobs they have done, has allowed Daniel Jones to evolve. So without them, maybe it's another mediocre season for Daniel Jones. But what he's done this year, culminating the performance on Sunday, he's a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, there reaches a point where, and great job, Pat, breaking that down. There reaches a point where when you're trying to rank individuals on a football team or in any sport for that matter, you have to consider what's around them for better or worse, right? Like we all have seen quarterbacks, like think of Joe Burrow in his rookie year who had not the best situations where it was like, oh my God, this guy is getting pummeled play after play, yet he's making incredible passes. He looks incredibly tough. And it was to his demise in that first year when he got the injury, but you saw something special, right? And I think, Everybody was much easier because you know, Joe Burrow had the best college season of all time. He's super likable. He's tough. He's cool. In number one pick, everybody quickly was like, wow, this guy is something really good. Let's see how special it could be. But we think he's really good, like no matter what. Let's get him some help. Daniel Jones was not that, obviously. It took a lot of time to get there. And to say that he sucked the entire time, I don't think was fair either. But that's just how fans are. You know, you're either great or you suck. That's just that's life in the world of sports. There were moments where he looked good. There were moments he looked horrible, but there were always excuses. And that was something that made it really difficult to actually make something concrete about Daniel Jones. And I think there's still some of that here today about what he can be moving forward from here, right? What he has around him, better or worse, that's still up in the air and there's still more to see, which is really interesting and partially really exciting for Giants fans and the Giants organization. So, Cody, where do you lie on this scale here if there's a threshold of, you know, he's a franchise guy to he sucks? You know, where where do you lay? Where do you lie? He's unquestionably given himself the uh, opportunity to become the franchise guy. He should be paid in the offseason. Um, maybe not like the likes of Mahomes, but he should be paid. He should be extended. And if the Giants don't, at this point, somebody else is going to. And here's the thing. Like, obviously, I wasn't on the podcast with you guys to bring this up, but I was, like most Giants fans, as down on Daniel Jones as I could be. Um, I, I just didn't think – I thought he lacked something, and I, it felt like he lacked football instincts to me. He lacked this pocket presence. It didn't seem fixable to me. I didn't think there was a chance, not with a new coaching staff or anything, and I guess that goes to show you just how important having the right guys in the right places are because he's probably one bad year away from a backup to maybe out of the league if this or you know if this group doesn't get it right with him. And now here we are talking about, I'm saying full out, 
he is absolutely the quarterback next year and going forward. He's earned that this year. And it's those things that Pat mentioned. It's some of those things that you've mentioned, Pete. Um, but what I've seen from Daniel Jones this year that I'm so, so impressed with, and we're going to now for the second time use Eli-esque in a different way. Mark Shen is definitely cringing as he hears that. Um, but I've seen a guy who in the biggest moments makes the biggest plays. Like he's answers the call on big drives when you need it. He's finished out games this year on the offensive side of the ball. And that's why it's frustrating when somebody kind of hides behind some of those stats of his numbers in the game, of his touchdown passes or his 200-plus yard passing games or whatever you want to hide behind. Because sometimes it's the fact that his legs got you that first down that put a game away or extended the drive that's going to you know waste more time on the clock, things like that. And just going back to Sunday, they go down 7 nothing in Minnesota. You got all those idiots chanting skull throughout the stadium. First play from scrimmage, they get a nice run to Saquon, and it's called back for holding. So now he's first and 20, down 7 nothing Again, in enemy territory, that's a good Minnesota team. And he just methodically moves down the field. Boom, drops one off to Richie James, gets that back, and then moves down the field. Saquon finishes it off. They get a stop afterwards. I thought that the Vikings gifted uh, the Giants that third and one. Remember they ran that play to Jefferson, back to Kirk Cousins. I thought they outthinked themselves in that moment. I said it in the moment, like, you know, you just, that was, you got too cute there. Um, and he takes full advantage, pushes it to 14-7. Late in the game, the Vikings tie it up. He pushes it right back down the field, scores again, answers the bell once again. He's done that all year in my eyes. Um, so, again, a guy that I was down on, um, I, I wasn't, you know, I don't think you were either. Pete. And I don't know many Giants fans who were still in the camp of like, hey, this guy can do something. A couple years ago, I said, hey, he can make some throws, man. Maybe there's something. But as I saw this guy just get pummeled in the pocket and look like he just had no clue how to navigate a pocket, I said, you know what? We ha It has to be uh, someone else. And now here we are today. We're in the divisional round playing the Eagles next week with a chance to do something special at the link. And it's because of Daniel Jones. He's gotten them to this point. You know, of course, along with the coaching staff, sure, all that. He has earned his way to a contract and to be on the brink of that top 10. Again, just talk about what we saw this year. I like how Pat kept saying that. Just what I saw this year, what I've seen to this point, not what happens next week, but what I've seen to this point, yeah, he's right on the brink of that top 10. He was flawless in two of the most important games, winning in an Indy, and then obviously the playoff game in Minnesota. It's actually hard to list that top 10. I mean, we both did it today, Pat, right? You and I in the group chat, we both kind of quickly made a list of quarterbacks who we think are better than Daniel Jones, who are in that same tier as Daniel Jones. Obviously I did similarly last week and it quickly kind of dwindles around eight, right? Like, so when you start talking about quarterbacks, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, at this point, it could be reasonable to say that Daniel Jones is in one of those slots. Now, do I think he's a top 10 quarterback? Not right now. You know, Deshaun Watson came up in, in the conversation today because he's a guy who I consider a top five quarterback uh, in his prime, you know, which is still possible to come back, right? I'm not going to put him there now because of what we just saw. It would be malpractice to just assume that he's going to be the guy he was two years ago, right? Now, if you use similar concepts here on Daniel Jones, his rookie year was kind of gravy. No one really expected much. He made some nice plays. He looked pretty fast sometimes. It is what it is. He threw more touchdowns in that year than he still has in any other year since, which, you know, kind of sucks, but it is what it is. Uh, then sophomore year, his second year, 
it kind of went down and it was like, wow, maybe this guy doesn't have it. He doesn't have those instincts. Like you talked about Cody. He doesn't seem to have the it factor, the special factor. He is not him. Whatever you want to say, whatever catchy phrase you want to use about some of those intuitive stuff. I think Trent Dilfer always calls him the dude factors, right? Is this guy a dude or not? Does he show up in a huddle? Does he show up at the line of scrimmage, take control, make plays, make shit happen? It didn't seem like he had that in him in year two. Year three, okay, maybe there's a little bit more than we thought in year two, but my take really was, okay, he doesn't suck, right? That's kind of where I was into the offseason. All right, Daniel Jones doesn't suck. He's not terrible. He's not a bottom five quarterback in the league, but he's closer to 20 than he is to 10, right? That was kind of where I landed with Daniel Jones, even for a portion of this season. But here's the undoubtable truth about what's going on with Daniel Jones this year. These things, in my opinion, are inarguable. And if you guys disagree, let me know. One, his consistency has absolutely gone through the roof compared to where it was in the past. That includes ball placement. That includes uh, learning when to slide, when to fight for extra yards. That includes uh, not turning the ball over, which was basically every single person who didn't like Daniel Jones' number one argument against him. He turns it over too much. He turns it over too much. That's what his biggest problem is. Guess what? Eight turnovers this year, five picks, three fumbles lost. That's pretty damn good, right? So those things are undoubtedly true. His toughness has proven itself over time, something that we weren't sure of early on. He looked like he could take a hit. He popped back up, talking about Eli-esque. Some of those things were said, and, and, and rightfully so. This year, however, with learning how to slide and when to slide a little bit, learning when to dive and how to dive a little bit and learning when to lower his shoulder and pick up some extra yards, that toughness was absolutely drawn out and obvious to everyone who's watched the Giants this year. Those things are inarguable to me. Next, his coaching staff upgrade is absolutely unquestionable. So for every time we give credit to Daniel Jones and we say that he's a top 10 quarterback or he's knocking at the door of a top 10 quarterback, you have to mention and caveat that he has now an offensive coach in Brian Dable and an offensive coordinator in Kafka who are putting him in, in positions to succeed and asking him to do a lot. And there were some bumpy roads there at different points of the season as Pat laid out. But over time, the toughness and consistency prevailed. Now, I think that puts his floor at a very good spot. I think that's another inarguable point here. His floor has now reached a point of good. I am now not ready to say he is great, that he is top 10, that he is a lock, that he's going to show up against the Eagles in Philly this weekend and show out and be a baller. That is something that is not an inarguable truth. However, what we can say is that we do not know his ceiling yet because of the lack of weapons around him. Talk about Geno Smith. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. You think Daniel Jones would benefit from that receiving core, which might be what? I don't know, the 11th best receiving core in the league, just off the top of my head. Another inarguable truth, we don't know his ceiling yet. So to me, consistency, toughness, better coaching staff allowing him to succeed, inarguable. His floor is now at a good level, inarguable. And his ceiling is still unknown because with weapons, we're not sure exactly how far he can reach. Those things to me are inarguable about Daniel Jones. Pete, I want to jump in there because I, I still think you're, you're not giving him enough credit. Think about everything you just said. You just made an really? argument for, for, I think, the opposite side. What did I, what, wait, wait, I didn't give him enough credit, you're saying? Yeah. Look okay, at everything you just talked about him. You just gave him all the respect, all the deserved respect that he has earned this year. 
And then you pointed out the truth that they have a terrible receiving core. Now, again, just like Daniel Jones has evolved into a, a really good quarterback, maybe Isaiah Hodgins is, was a diamond in the rough. And because he's playing on a team that has Stephon Diggs and, uh, you know, Jameson Crowder before he got hurt and Dawson Knox and all these receivers, all the talent Buffalo has and, uh, and Gabe Davis. And now that he's actually getting a chance, hey, maybe he's a wide receiver too on, a, on most teams in the NFL. And he's, a, he's wide receiver one for the Giants. However, I think it's pretty fair to say the Giants have a bottom five receiving core. I think they're right next to the Bears and having the worst in the NFL. So think about that when you, so when you talk about we don't know what Daniel Jones' ceiling could be. Because if you slot him under center for Seattle's offense, if you slot him under center for Minnesota's offense, hell, if you slot him under center for Philadelphia's offense, he's a top five quarterback. Mm. I think Daniel Jones' ceiling is a top five quarterback. I think he's that damn good. And I think this is a case of look how bad, look how, you know, damaged a quarterback can be when they don't have the right coach and when they don't have the right weapons beside them. Now he's got the right coach beside him. You get him, you get him two weapons. Forget about two. You get him a legit top 20 receiver in the league and you get him a good pass catching tight end. I like Daniel Bellinger. He's a run block first tight end. And he's made some nice catches because they involve him in the offense. You give him some comparable weapons to those that a quarterback like Kirk Cousins has, Jalen Hurts has, Josh Allen has. Daniel Jones's numbers would be off the fucking chart this year. And think about this game on Sunday. They ran 65 plays. Well, they ran 68. He got sacked three times. They ran 65 plays where there was an end result. Daniel Jones threw it 35 times and ran 17 times. He was involved in 52 of the 65 plays. They scored 31 points. They win a road playoff game. If the Giants lose on Saturday night to the Eagles, it's not going to be because of the offense. It'll be because Hurts and the Philly offense rips them apart. Daniel Jones is going to show up, and he is going to ball out on Saturday night and Put that on my name. Listen, and I don't I don't think that you're definitely wrong. I think that it's really impossible to project that with like that sort of confidence because it's just we haven't seen it. Like Geno Smith threw 30 touchdowns this year. And I don't care what we say about Daniel Jones' ability to run the ball. I don't care about you know his rushing touchdowns even that much at this point in time, because we know that you have to throw the ball successfully in this NFL to be a top five quarterback. You have to be Lamar had even in that season where he was MVP and a clear cut top three quarterback in the league that year. Obviously he was number one. He was the MVP. He threw the most touchdowns in the league that year. So yes, he was the most electric running quarterback that we've ever seen in our freaking lives. He was throwing touchdown after touchdown and touchdown as well until we see Daniel Jones actually do it, whether it's better weapons or not. I cannot sit here and say that he's anywhere near a top five. I'm not ready to say he's top 10. Now, Pat, I understand that you're projecting forward, and I get that. It's a different thing than what we were doing earlier. But until we see it, how can you possibly say that? And another part that we haven't even mentioned yet, the Vikings' defense was abysmal on, on Sunday. You know, I'm not trying to shen Lugan this one over here, but the Vikings' defense was not showing up. There is 100% a chance that the Giants' offense does not move the ball nearly as well against the Eagles. That needs to be said as well. I'll say this. They put up 16 points 
against the Eagles in Week 18. We're playing their starters for most of that game because they needed the number one seed with Davis Webb. The Eagles' defense, they're great. They were elite. They're a top-five defense when you you know put the numbers together for the entire season. Last three weeks, Eagles' defense, very, very suspect. Getting torched by Dak and the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, giving up yeah, 20 how points. How often are you as a defense who's been the best all year and you're playing backups and you're like, we could just roll over and win, roll out of bed and win this one. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't put much stock in that game, to be honest. Cody, Cody, you look at your top at the bit, Cody. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, I'm just waiting to, to get in here because there's there's so much to unpack with that. I mean, look, the, the Eagles game is going to be a real test in and of itself, and I assume we'll probably you know talk about that game um, a little bit more. And, yeah, look, the Vikings defense, you're right. Like, there were open guys, you know, all over the place. But, again, like, we're back to the coaching staff. Like, there's, there's two things have to be true at the same time. Daniel Jones has been fantastic. The coaching staff is a huge reason as to why he is, right? It's like that Brady-Belichick thing. Yeah, they're both great. Like, let's just call it like it is. Right now, Dable, Kafka, they're just putting him in a position to succeed, using his legs, like things that he just never has had in the past. And he lit up that Vikings defense. He wasn't good against them. He wasn't great. He was flawless against them. And he did it to the Colts. So two games, again, winning in against the Colts. You could say what you want about them. Winning in, and they dropped a 30-piece on them. And then they dropped a 30-piece on the Vikings. And they haven't scored 30 points since 2020, since COVID, for crying out loud. And in the two most important games, he lit them up. It wasn't, again, it wasn't just an average good performance. So it, it all matters. Like, that all comes into play. Um, I don't know. I just – top five is tough. You're comparing him to some of these guys that – like, you know, like there's a guy like a Trevor Lawrence who – like, where's he going to end up on this list? That guy's got to be projected somewhere. And, and you know, we're going to talk about him and, and Herbert who, like, you know, whatever. But um, one thing's undeniable. It's that they can win with Daniel Jones. They can beat – I think I think they could go in and beat Philly. Um, and but it's going to take the whole compliment, man. It's going to take Dayball having a hell of a game plan to slow down that Eagles pass rush to either run the ball, get the ball out quick, move the pocket, whatever you want to do or have to do. It's going to take him. It's going to take Jones. It's going to take everything because that team's a one seed for a reason. Um, and I'm not really putting much stock in the week 18 game. And the only th- you know, there's that whole it's hard to beat a team three times, but that second time wasn't really the Giants. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's just a couple things that are true, I think, all at the same time. But uh, biggest moments, Daniel Jones played his best ball. There's something to be said about that. I just, I, I think for me, um, and, and if you guys want to move on after this, I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, I just think the goalposts have not been moved nearly enough for what Daniel Jones has done this year to where you still – there's a lot of Giants fans, I feel like, and people in general that are like, oh, wow, I guess Daniel Jones is like, okay. No, he has been fantastic this year. He has been incredible this year. Um, and I know people like to, you know, they like to hold on to the past, and that's fine. But I feel like, this, like you said, Pete, the floor shouldn't have just be moved up, you know, five feet. The floor for Jones should be moved up 20 feet right now based off what he's done this year. I just don't think he's getting enough credit. I think a lot of people say, oh, well, yeah, well, it's all the coaching. It's the scheme. It's Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones, like I just said, he just he basically was the, the main weapon in 52 of 65 offensive plays on Sunday. 
Yeah, and, and Sunday was incredible, dude. I, I don't want to take anything away from Sunday. And that was my point to my buddy Alec in text message. I enjoyed the hell out of Sunday. I was hyped. I thought it was the best game I ever seen him play, even if you know there may be a statistical game that was better. That was just the most perfect game. Like you said, flawless before Cody. I couldn't agree more. That felt like his most flawless game of his career. It felt it felt almost perfect, right? Obviously, you could take a few throws back. You could you could make some decisions here and there, whatever. It was incredible. Pat, maybe you're right about the goalpost needing to be moved up a little bit more. Um, I think, though, if you want to say that, then, and maybe you did. Maybe you did, and that's why it's fair for you to say that. Then you have to move the goalpost down even more last year for the shit that he dealt with with Jason Garrett. Come on, get this guy off NBC, please. Chris Sims at least like says something interesting sometimes. <laughs> Him and, uh, Chris Sims and Jason Garrett next to each other. It felt like I was in a freaking Jordan Peele movie. Goddamn. Anyways, off track there for a second. So if you're moving the goalposts forward now, they needed to be moved back last year. And Pat, you did that. So it's very fair for you to do this, I think. But I think if we start talking about top five, it's just too big for the britches right now. It's too big for the britches, and there's still a big-time opportunity for him to kind of fall on his face a little bit this week, and we have to accept that as a possibility because the Vikings' defense has gotten shelled many a times this year, and the Eagles just haven't. Pete, and and I'm totally ready for Mark to come out of hiding, Mark Shenlugan to come out of hiding and hop on this podcast next week and drill me as much as he wants if the Giants end up losing this game 21 to three and Jones turns the ball over three times. I'm ready for that. I don't think, I think those performances from him are gone. I think he is ready. Even if they can't move the ball, if he's not going to throw for 300 yards, I think that's preposterous to think. But I think if you're looking at a game where Daniel Jones throws for 215 and then he can run the ball 14 times for another 60, 70 yards, not turn the ball over, Giants are going to have a chance to win this game. And I know Cody said it. Cody thinks they can. Be very interesting to see. What, what kind of Giants team we see, what performance we see on Saturday night. Because I know, I, you know, people like to say it's tough to beat a team three times. It's not like as skewed as you think. I think teams that are playing a team for the third time and they're at home, I think their win percentage is like 63%. So like it's or 67%. So um, it's actually not that tough to beat a team three times when you're playing them at home the third time. But think about this, Eagles com- coming off the week off. And I have, I think there is a lot more to read into with Jalen Hurts' shoulder slash collarbone than they are liking to to lead on. I think that he might have some, you know, serious damage. That if they're not the number one seed, if they're out of the playoffs, he would have been shut down for the season. Uh, so I think the Giants' defense—they've got to absolutely ransack him every chance they get on Saturday night. He wants to run the ball. You better make him feel every single goddamn yard he's going to pick up. Very, that's a very good point, honestly, Pat. It is because the Eagles, uh, or I should say, the Giants have gotten healthy at the exact right time, and a lot of other teams aren't, right? Like the Bengals, for example, they're just not getting healthy at the right time. Cody, you have one more thing to say before we move on? Yeah, Lane Johnson's another one. He's dealing with an abdomen, and he's, I think, questionable at this point. But even if he plays, he's not fully healthy. He's got to deal with Dexter Lawrence on that interior line. I mean, you know, there's there's a there's a path for it. That's all I'm saying. Not that it will happen. But there's a path. They're a seven-point dog, at least last time I saw. So it's an uphill battle for sure. But there is a path, man. If they game plan well, if they if Hurts maybe is, like you said, a little more hurt, if they can get through that interior line and they have to neutralize that Eagles defensive line, I think that's you know this part that scares me the most, especially with the chance of Daniel Jones falling on his face, like you said. I think that's the way it would happen if that Eagles D-line 
would just terrorize, especially like an Evan Neal over on the right side who's had his struggles. Um, but yeah, there's a path. Of course, I believe that. I would, there's no reason to be a fan if you don't think your team could win in the playoffs when they're there. That I agree with. That I agree with. And then taking my fan hat off, I think about what I would think if this was, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of another team. If this was if this was the Lions, I don't know, if this was the Lions or um, the Bengals two years ago on Joe Burrow's first year before he went to Super Bowl, right? right? Like Something like that, where all this hype now, and we have Bill Simmons uh, on his podcast, Cody, I'm sure you heard this, call him Josh Allen, who thinks? What is he? The thinking man's Josh Allen? Is that what he called him? Daniel Jones? He called yeah, him, the thinking man's Josh Allen. Yeah. Which obviously he was being a little tongue in cheek, right? He wasn't actually saying that Daniel Jones is Josh Allen and better, but he was he was saying it a little tongue in cheek, but we get it, right? Like if I wasn't a Giants fan and I was looking at this Giants team right now, I would say, wow, everybody's talking about Daniel Jones and how good he looked. Everyone's talking about um, the Giants being a Cinderella team. Oh, do they have some some shades of this team and that team? Do they have what it takes? Are they getting healthy at the right time? Like when everyone starts talking positive about a team like that, whether it's my team or another team, my antennas go up and I say, hold on just a second. Are we sure? Are we sure that they're not running into a juggernaut that we've looked at as the best team in the league this entire season, right? So we will talk about that in a preview in a little bit. We would definitely will because I think it's really interesting and the spread currently is seven and a half. But anyways, Subway Sports Talk. Yeah, yeah, Cody. I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the 2007 Giants who went into Dallas, the one seed, after getting beat twice by them and beat them in Dallas. So all Giants fans have to be thinking that. I know I've been. It's it's a fair thing to think, 100%. It really it is. And, but, and the 15-1 and one Packers in 2011, right? Yeah. And then obviously the Patriots when they got to them in the Super Bowl twice. But goddamn. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk myself into it. I'm not going to bet against them. Just as a fan, I will not bet against them. I'll probably just bet a little bit on them just for funsies. I'm not going to make that one of my picks this week most likely, but we'll get there later in the week anyway. All right. Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle, Cody O'Connor. Let's talk about the other quarterbacks across the league here. And, um, you know, we didn't do enough highlighting of the defense like Dexter Lawrence looking like an absolute savage on that game, but it's not time to talk about defensive linemen. It's time to talk about more quarterbacks. So if you missed the podcast last week, I basically tiered out all the quarterbacks that were going into the playoffs. I recorded it before week 18. So some of the quarterbacks on the list uh, were not guaranteed slots in the playoffs like Aaron Rodgers like the Titans quarterbacks, like Mike, Mac Jones and Kenny Pickett, uh, even Jared Goff, they didn't make the playoffs. Um, but I, I included them all because I recorded it before the playoffs started. So for the fact of that list, I'm going to keep the list the same. Uh, so for anyone who didn't listen, I'll run through it really quick. If you're on YouTube, you can look at it yourself on the screen here. Um, but basically I broke this down into six tiers. There's two top tiers. There's a um, two ish middle tiers. And then there's two bottom tiers. I call them the him tier. That's he is him. We all know how this phrase works. It's Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. The second tier was could be him. Quarterbacks who have shown the ability to take control of their team and lead their team to victory in great circumstances or bad circumstances, or just quarterbacks that we can project forward on and say they have what it takes to grow into that top tier. The third tier, I stripped straight from part of my take because I think it's freaking hilarious. And it also encapsulates the middle tier quarterback that is called Kirk Cousins that tier. And yes, Kirk Cousins was in that tier. Um, the third, the fourth tier was shouldn't blow it. And that's just a quarterback that you have enough trust in to not make the big mistake. 
but probably not going to win it himself. Then you have might blow it quarterbacks who, you know, maybe they can make some plays. Maybe they put up some numbers, but you don't really trust them when it comes down to it. And then simply not him. None of those quarterbacks even made the playoffs probably because their quarterbacks are not the one. They are not him. That was Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, and the Titans with a question mark because I didn't know who was playing quarterback for them. So as far as the tiers are concerned, before we talk about specific quarterbacks, do these categories make sense to you guys, Pat and Cody? Yeah, I like them. They, they make enough sense for the purpose, yeah. <laughs> enough sense. What what could make more sense out of it? Like, just I didn't want to just be like elite, great, decent, bad, kind of bad. You know what I mean? So, Cody, Cody what would you tweak in, in these oh. tier titles? Oh, I don't have exact notes, but uh, yeah. They, like I said, it makes enough sense for me. We can roll with this. We'll be just fine. I understood when I listened. I'll understand now, too. <laughs> Cody's, Cody's throwing some shade. I love it. I love that. The I love the him tier. I love that you've embraced that that phrase. The only problem with that tier is that when I was re- recording the podcast solo, I think I said the word him like 67 times in the first 12 minutes, and it was really uncomfortable for myself. And I was like, <laughs> I have to start saying other words here. So when I got to tier three, I was like, thank God, I don't have to say the word him anymore. Um, so yeah, let's talk about these actual quarterbacks here. Um, Daniel Jones, for reference, was in the Kirk Cousins tier. He's someone we could argue about as a mover. We could. Uh, Dak Prescott also in the Kirk Cousins tier. He could be a mover. He was probably in a higher tier at different points of his career. And Josh Allen is in the him tier. And some people may be arguing that he shouldn't be right now at this point in time in these playoffs. So where do we want to start? Do we want to start at the top? I think Josh Allen might be a good space to start. Pat or Cody, I don't care who goes first here, but is there any reason to remove him from the elite of the elite of Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, that I think is kind of the undisputed top three quarterbacks in the league right now? No, you don't have to remove him, but my alarms are alerted because the red zone turnovers still haven't stopped, and he and they allowed a very inferior Miami team without Tua to hang around in that game to a point where I kept saying, they're going to lose. They're letting this team hang around, and they really damn well almost did in Buffalo. And they had their chance to go up 21 nothing. They got a call turned back, um, ended up being 17, still very comfortable. They went up quick. It looked like it could be a blowout. And I don't know what goes on with Josh. Josh, like he gets bored or something, and you just – if he does that next week against Joe Burrow, if he does that against a more capable team or quarterback – he's going to be in some trouble, man. But you can't take him out because he still is that alien. He still has the ability to use his legs. He throws a deep ball to uh, Stefan Diggs to start that game, and you're just like, yep, he is him. He is very belonging in that top three. Um, I think it's for sure cemented that those three are in there, and Jalen Hurts probably has to win a couple playoff games to work his way into that category with them. Justin Herbert might be on the move elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, Josh Allen absolutely has to stay in there. I'm not going to overreact, but it's definitely alarming that it's been all season with the big red zone turnovers, and it didn't stop week one – or, I'm sorry, week one of the playoffs. Yeah, that's a little alarming, but he's still in the him category to me. I would would agree with most of what Cody said. And the one thing I want to say, and I think I texted this to you guys on Sunday watching that game, I mean, you're right. That's that's a game where you don't – I'll say this. I'll start with this. I'm tired of having to watch Josh Allen clean up Josh Allen's mistakes because when they're in a game 
against the Kansas City Chiefs or the Bengals, you know he has to be elite. And he usually is. The Bengals lost that game last year because of the defense and because of stupid coaching from Sean McDermott, uh, kicking that ball, squib, not squib kicking the ball. Did they, did they squib kick it? Um, and just the way that they their defense collapsed when you needed to not give up 40 yards in the span of 13 seconds. So they didn't lose that game because of Josh Allen, and he will give them a chance to win every single one of those games every time. But it is the games like against the Dolphins and a Skylar Thompson where you don't need to throw for 500 yards just manage the game. He doesn't know how to manage a game. So maybe this is this point is irrelevant because I always trust that Josh Allen's going to show up in the big games because he basically has in every single game, playoff game in his career. He was absolutely flawless against the Patriots. They fucking curb stomped them last year in the playoffs. Um, and then he throws for 329, 329 yards, four touchdowns, and zero turnovers in that game against the Chiefs. And the year before that, in his first playoff appearance, um, played a very good game against the Ravens. I don't think he turned the ball over in that one. And then again, losing to the Chiefs, he turned the ball over one time, but he ran the ball for 88 yards and threw for just under 300. So playoff Josh Allen, when the, when the chips are on the line and he's got to outduel a Patrick Mahomes, outduel Lamar Jackson, you can trust that he will. But now, like you said, Cody, are the turnovers now part of his DNA, especially in the red zone? It's one thing if you turn the ball over at midfield. It's another thing when you have points that are guaranteed and you cough it up because you're trying to make something happen out of nothing where he rolls out, nobody's open, throw the ball away, Josh. We've seen, we'd see him do it when they're not in the red zone, but then it's in the red zone. I got to make this six. I got to get six here. I got to get a touchdown. And he throws a pick and you're like, dude, what are you doing? So, and even then there's games where he'll be flawless but when he does turn the ball over, it comes in waves, right? He had a three-game stretch, week eight, nine, and ten, where he turned the ball over seven times. Two picks against the Packers, two picks against the Jets, two picks and a fumble against the Vikings, in which, again, they shouldn't have lost that game either. And then these last three games, um, the Bears, which he didn't look very good in. Uh, they still ended up winning that game pretty comfortably, but he threw two picks in that one threw an interception against the Patriots in week 18, and then two picks and a fumble lost against Miami. And he fumbled the ball, what, three times in that game? So that could have been even more. He could have turned the ball over four times. So it's the red zone shit has got to stop. Like Cody said, I think that's become obvious to anybody who's even a casual watcher of football and of the Buffalo Bills. And again, maybe this point is moot because when when a chips when when he has to outduel another top tier, another him quarterback, he can do it. And he's not the reason that the Bills are going to lose. But now, again, you wonder, because of all these turnovers, because he's got seven in the last three games, he can't afford one. He can't afford one against Burrow and the Bengals uh, on Sunday. And I do worry now if that's become so much of his DNA that he tries to make things happen all the time, that he can't just sit back and manage a game, that he always has to be the guy. And they ask him to. But when he tries to make these ridiculous plays happen, when he could just throw the ball away, I wonder if that does cost them on Sunday. It feels like the disease of more, if that makes sense, where it's almost like Brett Favre and Mahomes had that a little bit. Uh, what was it last year where, you know, that that blanket coverage people were putting on him was kind of forcing him to check it down and he didn't want to. It, it, it's when you can make those throws, you know, regular people, regular quarterbacks don't think about making those throws. And in week 12 in the second quarter going into the half with a 10 point lead. Yeah, sure. Let it fly, brother. 
let it rip into the end zone. Try to find Stefan Diggs or Gabe Davis down the sideline or across the the baseline, the baseline, whatever. You know what I mean? Across uh, across the end zone. That's fine. But in these big moments in, in the playoffs, you have to be a little bit more weary, a little bit more careful. And I, I think, you know, you have to think that he is smart enough and aware enough to realize what's happening. And he will kind of realize when to reel it in, but it's a piece of concern, but I agree with you guys. He does not belong to be moved down. He does not belong in a different tier. He is still a top three quarterback in the NFL and will be there until this becomes a season long problem. They're not winning games, right? Like that is when it becomes a problem. They've had more difficulty probably playing down to their competition than playing up to their competition which is something that happens to, to certain quarterbacks and certain teams. So I don't think it's all on him. I think it's partially the defense not turning the ball over at all either. So agreed. Josh Allen stays there quickly. Joe Burrow. Uh, we don't have to talk about it, but uh, I think the Ravens just put together a great game plan and kind of slowed him down a little bit. They obviously won on the big fumble recovery on the goal line where they returned that for the go ahead touchdown. So I don't think Joe Burrow, you know, leaves the wild card weekend as a superhero right now but again no reason to lose trust in in joe burr right there's just no reason to do that and we're not going to do that here i i think that's fair guys do you agree with that yeah absolutely yeah uh, I think he's Whole, wholeheartedly nice. i think he's as solid as as they come um and that i don't know if he could take a game over as much as um mahomes or allen right. but i feel like you're not worried about the turnovers with joe burrow um, he threw yeah. four picks in the in week one against Pittsburgh, and he took care of the ball very, very well in the rest of the season. Yeah, and, and he where you know where uh, we're talking about Daniel Jones' benefit of the coaching staff. You know, he has the benefit of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, right? So you know, it's not like it's all him all the time. It is very much a reliance on some spectacular wide receivers making spectacular plays, which we'll get to other teams that have similar situations. Sorry, right, let's move it to the second tier. Could be him. That's the quarterbacks that can carry. They do occasionally. They maybe don't do it consistent enough, or we're projecting forward to see that they actually have the chance to break into that top tier. I had the quarterbacks listed out as such. Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, who obviously ended up not playing, Aaron Rodgers, Jalen Hurts, and Tom Brady. Tom Brady I actually had in two tiers. I broke rules because I didn't know what to do with him. I said in our group chat earlier today, I think he's kind of a tier of his own. I think Tom Brady deserves a Tom Brady tier where he is him. He could be him. He could be Kirk Cousins and he might blow it. Like that's kind of where Tom Brady is right now in his career. And we, we saw that, you know, it's not like he lost the game for them against Dallas, but clearly didn't do enough to win it. So Tom Brady, we don't have to talk about right now, but I had him in two tiers just for reference sake. So let's start off with Justin Herbert. The person I had at the top of tier two, somebody who we've projected for, you know, two years now of somebody who can be a top five quarterback who might be a top five quarterback right now. A lot of people do have their concerns and, you know, not being able to put away a team with a 27 point lead really hurts the case of a quarterback who everyone's deeming a savior, a Messiah, a quarterback robot, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Cause that's a bad look, no matter how you skin the cat, that's a bad look. And you can argue until we're blue in the face about how bad Brandon Staley is and Joe Lombardi is and not having Mike Williams probably helping lose that game as well. Uh, but what's the deal with Justin Herbert, Pat? I mean, he has the talent. He makes the throws. He seems so consistent most of the time. And then there's these moments where they can't close it out. They can't quite come back. And you can't really explain it when just watching Herbert alone, it comes into so much other parts of the equation with the team, the coaches, et cetera. 
Yeah, and I like that you have him in this tier. I don't think he has established himself as a, you know, he's not on the level of Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow yet. I think he's got the strongest arm in the NFL, at least watching the games, the naked eye. I mean, his passes look like they hurt to catch, right? And he's shown that he can throw the touch passes too. Um, you know, you can make excuses for Herbert. And, I, and I, you know, you can't, you can't make excuses for a guy in the top tier. Right, the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill. Mahomes still put on it, put together an MVP season because we know he's, I think, clear cut number one in the NFL. Josh Allen could lose Stephon Diggs, but if they replace him with two other, you know, decently solid receivers like the Chiefs did with Juju and, and MVS, you would still expect Josh Allen to have a huge year. Same with Burrow. Uh, with Herbert, you know, they had the injuries to both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen in the middle of the season. He still put up big numbers but they were struggling to win games. And then they finally hit their, their stride in the last four or five weeks of the season. Uh, a little bit of a weak schedule too. They finished the year with Tennessee, Indianapolis Rams and Denver. Um, but you know, you saw everything you saw that makes me think that Herbert is definitely a top six, top seven quarterback in the NFL. You saw that in the first half against Jacksonville. Uh, they, the defense was incredible. They forced four interceptions and the chargers took advantage. They put up 27 points in the first half wasn't enough. Maybe they should have put up, maybe, maybe they should have went for it. You know, Staley kind of was the opposite of Brandon Staley. And what I think I was like, all right, they're definitely going to go for this. They're not going to settle for another field goal. And he goes, no, we're going to take the points here. And it was the smart thing to do until the second half when they roll it out and they go conservative. And, you know, they were still throwing a little bit on the early, you know, at the end of the day, Justin Herbert goes 25 of 43 and they try to game manage all the way through with a 27 nothing lead, and they blew it. And, yes, that falls on the coach. That falls on the offensive coordinator. That's why Lombardi's out of a job now. That's why the quarterback coach is out of a job now. But I'm not, I, can't, I can't make all the excuses in the world for Herbert. He's got to – he needs he deserves criticism for that performance in the second half. He's got to tuck it and run on some of those plays. If, if, the, if guys aren't open, if they're just looking for checkdowns and easy throws, and the defense in Jacksonville knows that, and they're just playing tight zone – you got to take off and run. He did it on one play to get a first down, and that was really it. That was the only time he actually ran the ball. So he needed to be use more of his legs. He needed to make more of those throws. And, you know, again, you can only make so many excuses for the coaching and the play calling. Some of it's got to fall on the quarterback. So, yeah, that second half was definitely disappointing uh, to see a kind of stalwart in his progression because I was ready for Chiefs Chargers round three, just like everybody else was, and it felt like we were robbed of it. Um, and I don't think it's fair to put all the blame on Staley and the, and the play calling Herbert absolutely deserves some criticism. Um, and whether it was, they were off page a little bit in the second half with, with Allen and, and Mike, uh, not Mike Williams. He didn't even play um, whether he was off page a little bit with, uh, with Keenan Allen or with, you know, some of the, Gerald, other Gerald Everett, like, you know, yeah, Gerald Everett or an Eckler. Josh too, like, Palmer. Yeah. And with, and with Eckler, like, you know, if nothing else, he's the, he's the, reliable weapon you could just dump it off to on a check down or get him out in the flat and let him run i just you know quarterbacks gotta gotta rise above that they they tried to sit on the clock with passing which is just crazy Uh, you know it's just not what you're supposed to do and and when you do do that you're supposed to really lean on those check downs and and you know they weren't able to do so pat the best thing you said though right there quarterbacks in the top tier are bigger than those those mishaps from the people around them they have to be when you are a top tier elite elite quarterback, your receiver being down, your coach being a, a bum, your OC being stupid, that stuff kind of has to get pushed aside by you. 
And he wasn't able to do that for whatever reason. He was not able to, and we've seen him not able to uh, on various occasions. Cody uh, Herbert, what, what do you feel? Yeah. Um, so it seems like you guys are okay keeping him in the tier that he's in. So I'll be the one to do it. He deserves to be in the Kirk Cousins tier here, like firmly in there until Ooh. the stank from what just happened gets taken away because he had their opportunity last year, didn't make the playoffs week 18 against the Raiders. And then it happened here again today. You cannot blow that game up 27 to zero, gifted the ball inside their five. How many times did he get gifted the ball on plus side of the field as well? And he completely threw a rocket over Keenan Allen's head. Instead of being up 31, nothing, they settle for the field goal there at 27. The top three quarterbacks don't blow that game. Joe Burrow, for all the things that we want to talk about with Allen and Mahomes, and Herbert has these two, these tangible things. Joe Burrow has that intangible thing, that leadership that I just feel confident that that guy's going to go out and get it done. It may not look the prettiest, but he's going to win you a freaking ball game, and I'll bet my money on that. Justin Herbert doesn't have that, and he has to earn that back. I think it's you, Pete, who's been calling him the darling of Twitter. Is that is that your term? Uh, I think that's just some terms going around. Emmanuel Acho had his thing called him a social media quarterback, which was very stupid because Herbert's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a big Emmanuel Acho guy. Yeah, but he, I, I think that was a uh, Shen though. That was a Shen move. He he is a little bit of that. So look at that. We're agreeing with Mark Shen. Mark, yeah. I hope you're still listening to this point. We didn't get too you know mean on you in the beginning. <laughs> he. He And look, it's not all Herbert's fault. I'm not trying to say that. A lot of blame has to go to Brandon Staley, who, if he keeps his job, I don't know, he who, will. You know he will. who he knows. It seems like he does. Um, and you know what? Some of that stank is from just the Chargers organization. Some of that, just like the Bears never have good quarterbacks or Ohio State never brings out a good quarterback and Fields is dealing with both of those things. Herbert's on a Chargers team that just always seems to fail. I felt very, very comfortable. When they went to uh, when they made it twenty seven seven the Jags taking the live line at eighteen and a half just being like this is going to get close because that's just kind of who the Chargers are yep. and that's not all Herbert's fault but he's the quarterback he's this guy that we all love because of the again tangible things that he has but go win a game when it matters the most like that's the most important thing I think that's the point that we're kind of driving home with Daniel Jones at least that's what I am he's winning the games when it matters. He's winning big games. Justin Herbert has to do that. He has to kind of get back in those good graces. Um, and I think Dak in that Kirk Cousins category is there for kind of the same type of reason to me because he's got all those tangible things too. He's been big time. He's got back-to-back 12-win seasons, but he's there and he deserves to be there until he proves otherwise. I think Herbert needs to be kind of taken back a tier, drop down a little bit until he earns back to being in that could be him or – he has the chance to be in the him. I'm not saying he's a scrub. Look at the other quarterbacks in that tier. Those are good quarterbacks. Yeah. But to me, I'm very okay with putting Herbert there because he has to get the stank off of this really, really embarrassing playoff loss. I think I think that's unfair to put him in that tier. I think he's way better than that. And as much as, again, at the end of the day, a lot of blame's got to be put on the quarterback for being partially responsible for blowing a 27 nothing lead. But let's just – Let's just go through this. Cody, the last Jaguars, the five drives, the last five drives they had, touchdown in a minute 30, touchdown in seven minutes, touchdown in two minutes, touchdown in three minutes, field goal where they probably could have scored another touchdown if they needed to. So uh, I agree with you that throw to Keenan Allen that he that he rocketed over. Um, you know, again, they had a chance. Uh, what was it? First and, first and 10 inside the Jacksonville 30. 
and um, I think there was another pass that he missed, and then they missed a 40-yard field goal instead of, okay, we just get a couple more yards and guarantee that you go up by 13 rather than 10. And then that last drive, you can't take a sack on that first down and put yourself at second and 17, where now you're basically already giving the Jaguars back the ball. So, yeah, again, he deserves some blame, but I think then to, I think you're dropping him in, in a tier with Kirk Cousins and and Trevor Lawrence. I think that's I think that's ridiculous. So, hey, hold on here for a second, because I was just about to say, what is the epitome of the Kirk Cousins tier is that they possess the talent, but they don't possess the ability to take control when it matters. Right. That is literally Kirk Cousins. He, he puts up the numbers. He throws the dimes. He makes big plays. He can put up 30 points regularly, right? But when it comes down to it, do you trust that quarterback to be the 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 stalwart of an offense to just put them together and, and glue together any sort of pieces you have? That's the epitome of Kirk Cousins right there, right? Like that's why the, that joke with part of my take is so damn good. And it's why Kirk Cousins occasionally can lift above his own tier, right? Like when he's playing well and slinging the pill and making plays, Kirk Cousins could be him. Maybe, right? Like maybe, maybe he doesn't even belong in his own tier occasionally. Now, I, I think that's the, that's Cody's point a little bit. Yeah, and I got to go back a little bit, Pat, because you're saying it's unfair to drop him in this category, but based on what? The guy's never won a single thing. He's never won a division. He hasn't won a playoff game. Like he has to earn his way into the, t- the tier with some of these guys, and he just hasn't done it, and he just had his chance, and he blew it in epic fashion. And the thing is, he just – I lost my point. Oh, because you brought up – now I remember. I'm back on it. Because you brought up how the Jags went, you know, touchdown, touchdown, to all that stuff. Great. Hey, Justin Herbert, why don't you answer and sustain a drive and score a touchdown yourself? Because you are in this category, right? Well, answer the bell when they're making this comeback. Have a six, seven, eight-minute drive, march down the field methodically, and put that game out of reach. That's what those guys do when he hasn't done it. His in, his tangible things, fantastic. He's an excellent talent, no doubt about it. I'd love to have him on any team, but the fact of the matter is he has to prove it to me. Again, he has to get this thing off. He could be right back there next year, but he has to do it when it matters most still. That's why I drop him in this category without much of a problem. They've had the year from hell. Injuries like crazy to the receiving core. Keenan Allen missed half the year. Mike Williams missed a bunch of games. Brandon Staley's Brandon Staley. I do think, though, even with Brandon Staley remaining the head coach, I think the change at offensive coordinator, if they make a good hire there, could be the key. That could be the missing link to Herbert putting it together because I've been hearing uh, Warren Sharp, who I trust the things he says. He makes me feel smarter about football just by listening to his <laughs> podcast and reading his tweet, right? Like he's been on this Joe Lombardi thing for two full seasons. I'm going back. So three full seasons now. Since he's been the OC of this team, he is saying, is this the third year of Staley, right? Third year of Staley? Yeah. So Joe Lombardi has been disallowing Herbert to take over because of the scheme that they employ, making him, even though he's one of the best passers on third and long, one of the, he, they, he makes him one of the least efficient passers on first down because they're throwing four yards, they're throwing five yards, and they're not letting him cook. And I hate, you know, we hate using that term because of the rust stuff, but you know, he's a guy who you can let cook and let him kind of carry you wherever he can take you. And I think the Lombardi factor is probably one of the biggest reasons that's held him back. And you can argue that was a huge reason of this game too, 
where they should have been running the ball. They should have been taking some shots downfield. Instead, they're looking for seven yard passes the whole entire game and, and throwing incompletion, stopping the clock. One seven minute drive, Cody, could have ended that game. You're right. You're 100% right. Those insane touchdown drives by the Jaguars could have been stopped with one seven to eight minute drive, and that game is out of reach. Hey, by the way, my whole lifetime, the Chargers have had the year from hell every single year. Just <laughs> That's very fair. I think it's year two is Staley and Lombardi. I think before they had Anthony Lynn as the head coach, and I think the offensive coordinator was Shane Steichen. Even worse, whatever. But right, two. You're right, two years. I'm I'm with you, Pat. Though I wouldn't drop him the Kirk Cousins tier, not yet. I think we need to see him over the course of a season, kind of do this. Cody so makes I'm, a good I'm, argument though, in that you know if you're if you're really that damn good, you know it's you're a great argument. At this point, you you've won a playoff. Thanks, game. guys. <laughs> All right, let's move through that tier. We're not going to talk about Lamar. We don't have the time. He didn't play. The contract stuff will be talked about, I'm sure, throughout the entire offseason. Aaron Rodgers didn't make the playoffs. Tom Brady lost. I don't think we have to spend much time there. Again, all offseason, we'll talk about if he's coming back. I think we're, I think he's coming back right now, but whatever. Jalen Hurts is the only other guy in this tier here who hacks, absolutely has the opportunity to bump up to that top here, top tier. He absolutely has the ability to stay exactly where he is with an underwhelming playoff performance here against the Giants on Saturday night. So, you know, what do you guys need to see from Jalen Hurts this week, win or lose for that matter, to solidify him as a top five quarterback in the NFL? I, I think you need to see, you know, I think you need to see a game where the Eagles win and not that they win despite of Jalen Hurts. And you know, again, he's had an MVP season. He's probably he's going to finish second. I think Mahomes is going to win it. I think he deserves to win it. Uh, but I think Hurts would finish number two. And maybe if he played those last two weeks and he balled or, you know, played six weeks, 16 and 17 against Dallas and New Orleans and he had monster games, maybe he is the MVP. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think it's uh, I think he's definitely earned everything that he's gotten this year. And the, and the Eagles have been so damn good because of him, not despite of him. Uh, but now, again, we need to see it in the playoffs. Right. We need to see it in the playoffs. Uh, last year, he wasn't very good at all in that playoff game against Tampa Bay. Granted, they had a great defense, but he threw two picks, couldn't convert barely more than half of his passes. Um, and then this offseason, they get him A.J. Brown. And now Jalen Hurts is an MVP candidate for this year. And his throwing has also his arm has gotten a ton better. His accuracy, his decision making, in addition to him being that much more confident in what he can do on the ground. So, yeah. Uh, regular season Jalen Hurts uh, this year, I'd put him in the him tier. But, yeah, it's not all about that. Now we need to see you do it when the games matter. We need to see you do it in the postseason. With the roster they have, a top-five defense, an offensive line that has two all-pros on it in Lane Johnson um, and uh, and Jason Kelsey, they need – was Lane Johnson the other um, all-pro on that offensive line? I know they had two. I know Kelsey was one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lane Johnson was the other. So you got two all-pro offensive linemen – Everything's in in their favor. You're the number one seed. He's got to go out and beat the Giants. Um, and you know, again, they have to win. Not because of him. He doesn't need to throw for 350 yards, but they got to win. They got to win the game, not despite of him. And then I would say, even then, uh, Jalen Hurts has to. Even if the Eagles get to the NFC Championship game, if they lose to San Francisco, it can't be because of Jalen Hurts. He not only has to win this game, he then can't be the reason that the Eagles lose in the NFC Championship to San Francisco. Um, because then it feels like kind of everything he did this regular season doesn't really matter that much. Right. Definitely not a fluke, but not the top tier yet. I agree. I agree, Pat. I don't even have to add anything to that. I think that's perfect. Cody. 
Yeah, as long as he doesn't come out and just have an absolute stinker, he probably stays in this category. Um, you know, he's he does have seemingly everything around him is like perfect. You know, best offensive line in the game, amazing tight end, two stud wide receivers out there, great running game, all that. The offense is designed well around him. All that's true, but he's also balled out. They also had two weeks without him, and they looked abysmal offensively. Um, and he's he's just kind of one of those guys, almost like a Joe Burrow. He hasn't proven it to that extent at this level. But I just see him as like a leader of men, like a guy who could take a huddle and just have them trust in what he's doing, what he's saying. He's a guy that kind of scares me in those big moments as a Giants fan, no doubt about it. Um, and he obviously had a fantastic year. He probably – I do think he wins MVP if he just plays those games because they probably wrap up the one seed at that point. Um, and I do think he probably gets the MVP because of the dual threat, his legs, his arm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with him there. I think he probably stays there unless he goes on a Super Bowl run or he has an absolute stinker against the Giants in a big moment, and then maybe you drop him down into the Kirk Cousins. But he's probably right where he's supposed to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I hate that he's on the Eagles, man. I mean, my favorite receiver in the league has been A.J. Brown since he entered the league. And he's on the Eagles. And I like Jalen Hurts in college. I thought to myself, I think this guy can be an NFL quarterback. You know, like I think he could. And then in, in his first year at the Eagles, a little bit shaky, whatever. Showed some stuff, but a little shaky. And then this year, I was like, God damn, he's so good. He's so fun to watch. He's talented. He's a leader of men, like you said, Cody. And he's on the freaking Eagles. Sucks. Sucks so bad. But I, two of my favorite players in the league right there on the Eagles. And I'm going to be rooting against them wholeheartedly on Saturday night. All right, Kirk Cousins tier, the much debated Kirk Cousins tier, the middle tier, the true middle tier. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're bad. It just doesn't necessarily mean that you're good either, right? It, it could mean that you're great for two quarters and bad for two quarters as well, right? So that's the epitome of the Kirk Cousins tier. I do want to touch on Dak Prescott first. We mentioned that he's probably been in that second tier at different points of his career. And the turnovers like Josh Allen has been the thorn in his side. He showed up against Tampa and looked really good. Can we put him up a tier yet, or does he need to still do a little bit more to prove that he uh, could be him? Yeah, I think he has to do a little bit more still because that Bucks team that we saw all year was just not very good. They squeaked through the weakest division in the league. And look, Dak balled out. He left no shadow of a doubt. He did what he needed to do. I think he's just okay, though, in this tier because of the turnovers. Like you mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, he led the league in picks, even though he missed, what, like five games this year, whatever. You know what I mean? Like he did not have a great season, albeit they won 12 games. Um, but he's just too up and down for me. He opposite again. So now I'm going back. Like he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that they rally behind all the time. Maybe sometimes he does. And that's why he's in this category. He's got those tangible things, the off-platform throws that he can make. But you also sometimes might want to see him use his legs more often than he does. Like I think Cowboys fans would probably agree that while they really do like Dak, I don't know that they fully trust him. And I think those guys in that left tier, you pretty much fully trust or at least are really close to it. Um, and the Cowboys fans that I know, shout out Matt Hirsch, who's definitely listening, um, I know he's not all the way there with that. And I trust his opinion as a Cowboys fan. So I think he's right where he needs to be unless he wins one, two more probably playoff games. Cause that's what they expect over there in Dallas. 
You know, that's what they that's what they need to see over there. And they haven't seen it even with the one good win. Um, they have to at minimum put up a good fight against, I think, a superior San Fran team. I'm sure I'm not uh, saying anything you guys don't agree with. I would say, man, I'd say Dak is is definitely in this tier and maybe one below and the might blow it um, because I don't think you can count on him to win you a game. Not yet. Um, when Dallas's offense is clicking, he fits in seamlessly. You know, he he won't he I would say he won't fuck it up. Right. Like when the run game's going, when they got Zeke and Pollard picking up four or five yards a clip. Uh, there's times where then Dak is so good with the play action because the run is so good, but I mean, he sells the play action really, really well. I mean, that fourth and one bootleg run was incredible. I thought the, the cameraman got faked out. I got faked out. Um, so he's really great in play action and he can, he's got good touch, right? He doesn't have a huge arm, but he's got good touch, good accuracy in the way he can find lamb, put lamb in really good positions, put Schultz and, and Hendershot and Jake Ferguson, these, you know, so generic vanilla tight ends, like, puts them in good positions to get to make yard, you know, get yards after the catch. But two games this year where I was like, dude, what am I watching? This guy sucks. Week one against Tampa Bay, where he goes 14 for 29 for 134 yards and a pick. And then week 18 against Washington, he went 14 for 37 for a buck 28 through a pick and I'm literally watching the game. I'm like, dude, this guy has no idea like what to do on all. He has no idea what to do with the ball. He has no idea where it's going. He looks like he's never played quarterback before. And the fact that I saw two games this year from him against two relatively solid defenses, Washington solid defense, Tampa Bay. I mean, they just crushed him. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say Dak won them that game. I would say it was an all-around team effort. He played great. He didn't fuck it up. Like that's Dak at his peak. But when you need him to win you a game, when the run game wasn't working against Washington and you need him to just drop back and make a throw, man, there's a, there's a couple of games this year where he did it. I mean, he had a really, really good game against the Eagles uh, in the week 16 playing against Gardner Minshew where, yeah, it wasn't Jane Hurts, but I mean, the Eagles defense was still basically all out there and he, he shredded them. That was like his best game of the year, uh, not counting the other, you know, Monday night. But I mean, dude, there's just, there's been a couple games this year where I'm like, man, this guy's not winning them a game in the playoffs. And I mean, look, he, you know, again, he didn't fuck it up on Monday night. I can't take away credit. He played great. Um, but I really, really, I, I think you're going to see the definition of Dak Prescott and the performance he puts on against San Francisco this weekend. Because you know they got the number one defense. You know they're going to probably stop the run game. Best run game in the, in the league. Best defense in the league. Dak Prescott's going to have to win them a game this weekend. I don't think he can do it. Mm. And I think that squarely leaves him in the Kirk Cousins tier, right? Because that's that's the epitome. You know, he he might win you the game. He might lose it for you, right? Like, might blow it. Like, Geno Smith and Jared Goff in that might blow it category, it makes more sense because you don't really think they're going to win you the game. You know, maybe Geno or Jared Goff can go on that game-winning drive, but the fact that they needed a game-winning drive was because of their shortcomings, right? So I, I definitely don't think Dak belongs lower than this. I think he's the top of the Kirk Cousins. He's more Kirk Cousins than Kirk Cousins at this point in time. And if you blind tested their stats over the course of the past couple of years, they're very similar quarterbacks. And if you blind test their late game performances, they're very similar quarterbacks. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think he's perfectly placed here uh, and we have to see what he does. If he shows out against the Niners, then, you know, do we put him up? Maybe we do. Maybe we do. But I think right now he's exactly where he belongs. Yeah, quick. I got a quick story about Dak. I think 
cements where he is because I'm watching that Sunday night game against Washington and I'm laughing and I'm like, this guy stinks. And Alyssa is watching with me, knows nothing about football. And she goes, does he really stink? And I'm like, uh, kind of, yeah. Like he kind of does. So like, that's where I was at watching that. And I think that is the epitome of the Kirk Cousins tier right there. Right. That's just a little bit that you, you just need a little more sometimes and you don't, you don't get it normally. You don't get it. Uh, on the Daniel Jones front, who's also in this tier right now, uh, we already spoke about Daniel Jones a lot, so we don't need to rehash the entire thing here. Does he have an even? Does he have a chance to be in a different tier than this, or is he right where he belongs as well? I think I think he's right where he belongs right now. Pat, I, Cody, I think you agree with me. Pat, what do you think? He's he's moving up, man. If if he beats the Eagles one, because I mean, unless okay. they beat the Eagles thirteen ten, they're, they're going to have to beat them by scoring twenty to twenty four plus points. He beats the Eagles. He's moving up. If they lose a game thirty-three to thirty, he's moving up, right? I mean, do you do you disagree with that? No, he he does. Pete, you could go ahead. But what he needed, what he needed to then prove it in the NFC Championship game. He would no, no. I think if he beats the Eagles, that's that's a huge, huge win. Uh, he would need to account for, I'd say, three touchdowns. Like he would need to account for three touchdowns. Like it would throw two, run one, throw one, run two. I don't really care. Um, but my biggest gripe with Daniel Jones is that over the time they haven't scored points. Right. And like we talked about Justin Herbert, you have to overcome some of the shortcomings around you. If you're going to be a great quarterback, I don't think all the quarterbacks in the second tier are necessarily great, but they're knocking at the door or they're great, you know, more often than they're not. I've never seen that from him over the course of, of, of time. Right, he has seven games this year where he had zero or one touchdown accounted for. Great quarterbacks don't do that, you know. I can go through his game logs from year two and year three where there was even more games where he didn't throw a touchdown. Right, seven games this season where he accounted for one or fewer touchdown. That's combining throwing and running. So you can't be that guy all year and then have a good playoff run of two games. And then all of a sudden be next to Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Herbert. It doesn't work like that. Um, so I think he is exactly where he needs to be. However, if he does account for three touchdowns and they beat the Eagles or they, you know, lose a shootout 30 something to 30 something, like you said, Pat, yeah, I'll have that conversation for sure. But until I see him consistently put touchdowns on the board, I'm never gonna say that. Never. I think all he has to do is win that game. Because that's the most important stat. Unless it's in spite of Daniel Jones and the defense just balls out somehow. If he wins that game, he can be moved up because that is a hell of a team to have to beat. And now you're in the NFC Championship. You're you're in the top four quarterbacks. He can't be next to Justin Herbert, who's never even sniffed it. Um, that's so fine. Yeah, fine, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he, he can be, get moved up there. And I, I really want to say really quickly on Kirk Cousins that he did have a really good game against the Giants on Sunday. Like, they did not lose because of Kirk Cousins. And I know he's getting a lot of slack for that fourth and eight throw, but yeah. that same play worked earlier in the game. Fourth and eight, he dropped it off to a receiver underneath, um, and he was getting a lot of pressure. Now, look, he could maybe have thrown the ball up to Justin Jefferson, hope for a miraculous play, a P.I., whatever. But I think in that moment, he's thinking, I just have to give someone a chance. I certainly can't take a sack. I think he's – I know it's Kirk Cousins. It's easy to bash him, but he played a hell of a game, and I think he's getting way too much hate um, for really a game that, you know, he he was just out-dueled by a guy who was balling out. That was what really happened. But that's the thing, Cody, right? Because Kirk did play a great game, and one throw, one decision undoes all of that because it's the biggest play of the game. And you're – like, I saw him make that throw, and, like, I thought I was hammered. 
I thought I was on LSD. I thought I was on shrooms for a second. Like, I thought somebody slipped me an instant acid tab right before that throw. Because I'm saying to myself, how on earth can you make that throw on the last play of the game? How can you not give Justin Jefferson, when we saw him make the most impossible catch next to Odell Beckham's three-finger catch that I've ever seen in that Buffalo game, how can you even not give that guy a chance to make a catch like that where he had one target in the fourth quarter? How on the biggest play of the game with your season on the line, how do you throw it short of the stick? So, yes, he had a great yeah. game, and then he made that decision. <laughs> That's fair. And Hawkinson had a day, though, too. Honestly, yeah. he really did. Hawk was getting open a lot. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a game because the Giants blanket covered uh, Jefferson. They did a great job. Great Jackson and McKinney, they, who didn't play against the Vikings on Christmas Eve, both of them both played on Sunday. Both were on were, were shadowing J.J. the whole time, and they limited him to, what, three catches in the second half for, like, 16 yards or whatever? So, um, yeah, Hawkinson had a big day. I mean, I'm not taking credit away from him, but that's because he was wide open or he had man coverage yeah. against like fucking, uh, what's his name? The entire game. Um, he was like in man coverage against like Jalen Smith or Smith, Michael yeah. McFadden. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. very fair. Very fair, Pat. Yeah. I don't know. I saw a lot of pressure in his face from sexy Dexy on that. Play, but the thing is real. Yeah. I mean, in that moment, like us as Giants fans, or we're just like, who, you know, forget all that. We're jumping up and down. Hoorah. Pat said he might have been drunk. I definitely was. It was awesome. <laughs> I, I think Pat was hanging out with Aaron Rodgers watching the game. He's getting a little frisky. A little ayahuasca. Hey, yo. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> all right. Two more quarterbacks to talk about. Uh, one's in the Kirk Cousins here right now, one's right below it. Trevor Lawrence, quickly. What what do we even do? We just say okay, that was really great. It was also really terrible, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Like I don't even know what to do with Trevor Lawrence's game. I, I lean towards giving him credit for the second half rather than ripping away credit from the first half or whatever. Blaming him, I guess, for the first half because two of those picks were probably not his fault. Um, I don't know what to do. My hands are in the air. I think Trevor Lawrence could be him. I really do. I think he has an opportunity to be uh, right behind the top three as close as the midpoint of next season. I really do. I think he's that good, and people really got a bad taste in their mouth from that horrendous year one. So Trevor Lawrence, what do we do? Do we just hit pause for now and see what happens, and then we can make a decision down the road? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully on the pause button with Trevor Lawrence. I'm not even going to have a take on this one. I just think, like you said, Pete, goes to show you when you have scumbag Urban Meyer coaching you uh, <laughs> versus Doug Peterson and an actual game plan, an actual coach that believes you and tailors the offense around you, you see the improvement he made from year one to year two. But, I mean, dude, like that first half was one of the worst halves I've ever seen. He threw four picks and all four were his fault. Right. I like all, every pass. He every mistake was solely his fault the, behind the receivers into double coverage. Just like you're asking yourself, how are you making this decision in this big of a game? But for them to then have the mental toughness and bounce back and not give a shit about the four picks he threw in one half and put up 31 points um, in basically two quarters and, and a small possession goes to show you where this kid's resiliency is, where his mental toughness is, where his makeup is. I think he's got the makeup of the number one draft pick, the Andrew Luck, the Peyton Manning that everybody built him up to be. Um, but yeah, in terms of putting him into the could be him tier, I need to see how he does against Mahomes and the Chiefs. Um, and I need to see another full season where he takes a, another you know step forward. Yeah, and, and that drive before half too, like 
that's all part of it, right? It's not like he had the half to completely regroup. He still just threw four interceptions and comes back after a field goal, again, missed opportunity, and comes back, drives down the field, puts a touchdown on the board, and says, hey, we've got a shot here, you know. Um, but, yeah, I'm cool with keeping him there, kind of like how you got Kenny Pickett as a not yet, um, because I do think Kenny Pickett could be elevated, um, certainly. I, I do like Kenny Pickett. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence definitely has the, the tangible things to move him into the could him, be him tier. Um, I think he's going to put up a real good battle against Mahomes. We might see some fireworks in that one. And just another guy, though, who is clearly benefiting from a new coach, from a new org- like new staff all around him, Urban Meyer, as bad as it gets, maybe Doug Peterson, you know, as good as it gets for this guy or at least close to it. Um, so he definitely could stay here for now, but definitely a guy who could be on the move soon. With the spread at minus eight in the Chiefs' favor going into this weekend, even if he just keeps it close, and puts up a couple touchdowns and loses by a touchdown, loses by four, loses by three. I think for me, that puts him in the second tier for me. Like leading into next year, I'm ready to say he's the sixth best quarterback. I just made that number up, give or take, right? You can probably argue next year, starting the year, that he will be the sixth best quarterback or the fourth or the seventh, but in that range. I have that type of faith in him. But again, you know, it's hard to to say that right now based off of the tale of two halves, really. So I'm with you guys. We'll keep him there. All right, Brock Purdy. I didn't really know what to do with Brock Purdy. I mean, he's undefeated as a starting quarterback right now. He's not making any mistakes. He has an absolute star-studded roster with um, uh, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, all well above average at their position. Like, I mean, Brandon Ayuk would probably be a number one on most teams, you could argue he's the number one on this team because Debo is such a hybrid type player. So they're stacked. He's making the right moves. I've seen some film film breakdown. If you guys follow Baldy Breakdowns, Brian Baldinger on Twitter or Instagram, you know he did a bunch of videos on Brock Purdy. You know, talking about the little things, the footwork, the maneuvering in the pocket, uh, putting the ball on the target. Like he's doing a lot of this, the right stuff. Is it fair to say that he should be in this category by himself? That I named shouldn't blow it. Because uh, that felt like he's truly a game manager. He's not going to do anything special, but he's not going to mess up. He's going to let his guys cook, and, and he'll just be along for the ride. But is that not fair to Brock Purdy? I don't know. What do you guys think? I think just off the sample size, like we're still like kind of just in, in, in awe of – for me, it's Kyle Shanahan. The fact that like – imagine if Josh Allen was the quarterback of the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan would probably want to fucking, you know – take too many sleeping pills because he needs a quarterback that, that like you don't think that is that talented to make, to make his point with his offense on the football screens, get guys, um, you know, open with scheming our wide receivers, let Debo run the rock, get Kittle like to the point where they like sometimes target him seven times a game. Sometimes they target him twice, but you know, he's still like the second best tight end in football. Um, And just have a quarterback that, like you said, shouldn't blow it. But then again, Brock Purdy, like, he's making big throws, dude. He has thrown two touchdowns or more in every single game, right? Like, he's thrown 16 tutties in in seven games so far. Like, that can't just be ignored. And we can't just say, oh, well, it's McCaffrey, it's Debo, it's the offensive line, it's Kyle Shanahan. I mean, yeah, he, he, he deserves a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, another test, like, he's got to beat the Cowboys because then, like I said, I think we're going to see the definition of Dak Prescott road game in San Francisco a team that knocked him out last year. I, I think we're going to get a really good sense of who Brock Purdy is now that 
the I mean, the pressure was on him last week, right? I mean, I don't know if anybody really thought Seattle could have won that game. Um, they took their swings, though. They did take their swings, and Purdy lead at half, yeah. I mean, dude, and and he wasn't just he wasn't just throwing the ball short too either. Like I, I you know, I just talked about Kyle Shanahan's system, but like he had 11 yards per attempt. He was throwing the ball. They were taking deep shots, and he was dropping some fucking dimes into the bucket. Um, completed 18 passes for 332 yards, and he was throwing the ball down the field. I just, for me, it's like, okay, but <laughs> I, like, I keep asking myself every week, can we see it again? Can we see it again? And he keeps doing it. I don't know how many more times I have I have to see it to be like, wow, this kid's like the best, the the the, the next Tom Brady. He's the best thing since Tom Brady, Mister Irrelevant to franchise quarterback of a one of the best teams in football and a Super Bowl contender every year. Um, I don't know how many more times I need to see it, but like, I'm, it's getting to the point where I don't need to see it too much, too many more times. He's fucking good. <laughs> I kind of agree, man. It's so crazy. I will add this. It's really, really nice to see Christian McCaffrey's talents matter. And you're seeing how nice it is to have a receiver. I don't even want to say like a good receiving back. He's a wide receiver when he needs to be. And make, seeing that matter and seeing it in action on a good team, it really is special. Um, and I think that, you know, just like with Joe Burrow, we're saying, yeah, you know, he's in that top tier at 100%, but let's not forget that he has T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. You know, let's not forget Jim Brock Purdy's got just as good of a, um, a surrounding cast like the Eagles and like the Chiefs and et cetera. So, you know, I, I agree with you, Pat. You got to see it, but I, it's pretty good, pretty impressive right now. Yeah, he has that surrounding cast, all that great. Who's the big loser of all this to me? Jimmy Garoppolo. Because, yeah, he has that whole cast, all this stuff, right? But the offense didn't look like this with Jimmy G back there. And I came on, you know, a couple weeks ago, months, whatever it was, and my fear with the Niners was if they fall behind, like what could Jimmy G do in that moment? And I think Brock Purdy just kind of showed me what I need to know about him at least going forward. In a moment where 17-16 down at half, pressure's on now. You're the two seed. You've won 10 straight games. You're at home. You're the new guy. Everyone's looking at you. And he just balls out in the second half. Leaves absolutely no doubt about it. That was big time. So Brock Purdy, maybe he doesn't move into any category. Maybe just the name of his category gets changed to something that I'm not witty enough right now to come up with. Because in, like Pat said, that small sample size, it's hard to be like, yeah, let's put him next to Lamar Jackson. But, man, he has been everything and more that they could have hoped for when we were thinking they probably should trade for a quarterback at that time or, you know, something when they have a chance. Brock Purdy's like, no, nah, I got this, man. I'm better than you guys have just had, actually. And uh, I should probably be the guy next year, too, at least to this point. I mean, he's been phenomenal for them um, and just elevated that whole offense with the weapons around, sure, but – like I said, they haven't looked like this with Jimmy G back there. There will be an open competition next year with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, and Brock Purdy will most likely take that starting job to start the season. That's what it feels like right now. And part of it will probably be that Trey Lance is working back from the injury and he's not 100%. It's going to take time, yada, yada. He'll be waiting if we need him, but Purdy might just grab it. He might just be that guy. I mean, it feels really crazy to say because we've seen – flashes in the pan that kind of show up and then show out for six weeks and then kind of go back to being a pumpkin. Not that he ever was a pumpkin, but you you guys know what I mean. So I don't know. I I think he's good. I think it's totally fair. I don't know what the name of the category should be either. Cody, maybe it's just like, all right, 
like that. Maybe that's his category. All right, here we go. Here we go, boy. Hey now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. Hey now. Let's wait. Let's wait and see what happens. You rub your hands together and say, let's see. Let's see what we see here. So, well, I'll tell you this much. Um, Dan Quinn, I think, is the X factor in this Cowboys Niners game because there was a couple of times, if you know, we're going to point out a weakness about Brock Purdy, but other than saying, okay, well, he's got McCaffrey and Debo and Kittle. Uh, there was a couple of times in that Seattle game where they got they got to him with the pressure, with the blitz, and he immediately wants to roll out, wants to roll out of the pocket, kind of Zach Wilson-esque. But obviously then he has good decision-making. He can make a throw or throw it away. He threw like – there was two drives where I where it wasn't there, and he just threw it away immediately, which was like, oh, wow, it was pretty nice. But it was the fact that as soon as he felt the pressure, he was so eager to get out of the pocket. So I'm really, really intrigued to see what kind of blitz packages Danny Quinn can scheme up against them to get Parsons – uh, making him feel really uncomfortable to get Dorrance Armstrong coming up the middle because they're not going to get a lot of edge pressure with Trent Williams, who's probably the best offensive lineman in football. But if they can get it up the middle or if they can get some stunts going where they where they throw off Purdy's timing or throw off what he's seeing, you know, at the line of scrimmage, we're really going to see, you know, what his makeup looks like. So even though, you know, the Niners should still win the game because I think their defense is going to slow down Dallas, if they need points and they need them in, in pressure situations – you know, again, I just said, how much more do I need to see of Brock Purdy? I need to see some more against the Cowboys defense and, and what the what Dan Quinn's going to bring. Right. Because wouldn't it feel like something that we've seen before if Brock Purdy gets strip sacked for a touchdown and throws two picks in this game against a really good Dallas defense? Like, I, that's not out of the realm of the possibility. And I think that's a, a method for the Cowboys to steal this one. Uh, maybe it won't be Dak Prescott. And I think the spread is telling us everything we need to know. It's three and a half right now. It's three and a half. It's not, it's not six and a half. It's not seven and a half. It's not nine and a half or 10. Like it was against Seattle. This Dallas team is real. They've been good all year. Their defense has been good all year. This is a test. This is, this is real right here for Brock Purdy. So for all this uh, fun we're having with how surprisingly good he's been, he could be not surprisingly bad. He could be very possible with the pressure that Dallas can create um, real quick. Cause I know we've been going long already here, but Geno Smith deserves some credit. Right, he, He's in the might blow it category because he threw 11 picks this year, but he also threw 30 touchdowns, which was the fourth most in the league. And he lets it rip. He can hit deep shots with the best of them. He can make some plays. He might blow it, and he has, and he didn't make it. He lost to a better team in the, in the Niners, but he deserves a little shout, and that's all I got for him. Um, let's do really, really quick, though. Really, really quick. Just run through these games, just like 30 seconds on each of them here. Um Let's start off with Saturday Jaguars chiefs. The spread is opened at 10. I see it down to eight right now. You know, any, any leans in that line, Cody? Uh, yeah, I'd lean Jags cause the chiefs usually don't cover those big spreads. Um, even in a moment, like where you've got the young quarterback and Trevor, like I said, I expect some fireworks in that game. So maybe the over don't know what the line is. I'd guess off the top of my head, like 52 and a half ish 53. Good job. Um, so yeah, you might get the over in that game but I would lean Jags to cover that big spread. Yeah. It feels like an underdog spot. feels like it. And everything Cody said is right. Like the chiefs usually don't cover the big spread at home, even though they're not really ever in jeopardy of winning a game like this. I don't think they will be. Um, I mean, they were up 20 to nothing against Jacksonville when they played them in the regular season earlier this year. And they only ended up winning by 10 and the spread in that game was nine and a half. So they covered by a point or half a point. Um, I don't think I can bet the Jaguars in this one which, you know, again, I think I've bet more underdogs this year than I ever have in my life. But 
if I we're just talking straight up spread, I'm probably taking the Chiefs um, just because I don't think – I think the first – I don't think we're going to see all the first half of Trevor Lawrence. We're not going to see all the second half. We're going to see some in between. He's going to make some mistakes. I, I think he is. I don't think he's capable of playing a perfect game on the road uh, in Arrowhead. So if I'm taking this line, I'm, t- I'm taking Kansas City, even though, again, they usually don't cover the big spread. Yeah, and I think what makes me nervous about taking the Chiefs is that they're begging begging you to tease this down to minus two, right? Like, you got the Eagles at seven and a half and the Chiefs at eight, and they're both on Saturday. Uh, sign me up for Chiefs minus two and Eagles minus one and a half. Now, that seems too easy, right? That's a Mark Shenlugan, how does this one lose? And then somehow, you know, the Chiefs win by one and the Giants beat the Eagles. It's like, what, what just happened, right? So that spread makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, there's no real spread of, of cash right now. I think 5% more cash on the Jaguars than tickets. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. We'll see what happens. It's only Tuesday as we're recording this. So a lot of line movement and, and money movement to, to come later in the week. Giants Trevor's never at- lost on Saturday, though. Ah, that's never? Oh, true. Yeah. Never lost on Saturday. That's going to end. Uh, there's, there's, money I, don't, I don't give them any yeah. chance in hell to beat to beat the Mahomes in Kansas City. Never I don't lost. think they'll win either. Never lost. All right, second game, Giants at Eagles. Opened at 7.5, currently still 7.5. We talked about this kind of a lot already. I know Cody and I are definitely not taking Eagles minus 7.5. However, that teaser is so damn sweet. Pat, what are you feeling? What are you thinking about when you're looking at this line? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) As a guy, you've backed the Giants a lot this year. You really have. I, I I'm telling you this much. I'm I'm absolutely taking the Giants with the spread. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to take a money line as well, man. Woo-hoo! I think I think yeah. they can win this game. I think oh, they yeah. can. I think they can. And it, this is not, you know, again, it's 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 important to separate your takes and wanting to be right with your wallet, <laughs> uh, because I le- I've learned that lesson a couple times this year. And some and you know you, you sometimes you win it right like betting against two. I bet the Packers spread and money line against Tua on the day on Christmas Day. He throws three picks in the fourth quarter, um, and you're right in those instances. But this isn't just me saying Daniel Jones is going to throw 400 yards and win this game. I think the Giants' defense, their pass rush has gotten so much better. The fact that they are as healthy as they've been all year, they basically have a blank injury report. Adoree's back. That's going to help covering AJ Brown. I think they're going to have a similar game plan to, to trying to stop AJ Brown, like they did with Justin Jefferson. Um, and then it's going to be up to the pass rush. It's going to be, they, I mean, again, they've got two all pros in the O line. Philly does. You know, we, we, Cody was saying Lane Johnson's banged up. It's on Aziz Ojolari. It's on Kayvon. It's on Leo to get pressure on Hertz when they try to throw the football and make life difficult. I think they can do that. I think the secondary can hold up and limit the big shots. I think they can limit the the Eagles to three or four field goals in this game. And I think the Giants can walk out of here with a, a 23-20 win at the link on Saturday night. So definitely take them with the spread. Woo-hoo-hoo. Ooh, I love it. I love um, it. Yeah, definitely won't be betting this game in any way. There's just too much vested interest to have to throw money as well. Uh, if I'm trying to go unbiased, I do think the spread's a little bit high at seven and a half. I find it odd that it hasn't moved down even a little bit because I did see that like 80% of the tickets were on the Giants, which as a Giants fan, I hate to see. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the number's a little high. And if I'm going to throw out some props that, again, I won't bet on, but Boston Scott scores every time he plays them and the Giants 
can't cover a tight end to save their life. So Dallas Goddard props, and you know you'll probably get Boston Scott at like four and a half to one to just score anytime. So um, that's what I'd throw out there. I hope I'm wrong about both. Let's go. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm going to be with uh, three friends on Saturday night, two of which are Giants fans, including myself, and two of which are Eagles fans. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. I'm very very pumped about that. Uh, Cody, I'm with you. I think I'm going to not bet this game straight up, but I will put in like a fun same game parlay where I don't pick the side. You know, I'll take Daniel Jones alt line for rushing at the lower level. Uh, I'll, I'll do Dallas Goddard. I think if Devonta Smith can probably get a little loose here, if they're putting a lot of pressure on AJ Brown, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what I cook up on Saturday, but I'm with you. All right. Sunday real quick. First game Bengals at bills, the rematch that is weird. Let's be honest, right. With what happened with DeMar Hamlin. I mean, shout out that he's doing as well as he's doing a lot of ways to go. Obviously this is happening quick. It's only a couple weeks later and these two teams are facing off. Emotions will be high. The spread has moved from three and a half in the bills favor to five in the bills favor. And uh, right now the cash is still coming in hot. According to pregame.com on the bills. I am very much against the emotional bet. I never, I actually took the dolphins not in one of my picks, but just personally this past weekend, I, I, I don't like, making it one of my reasons to bet a team that they have some sort of emotional reason to be up for a game. I don't think that that reigns true enough. And yeah, that first series, that first drive, that first quarter, your emotions are high. You're running on all cylinders, but what happens after that? It becomes a regular game, right? So I'm not going to put credit or I'm not going to put too much um, thought into that portion of this, but obviously it's going to play some sort of role um, but what do you guys think right now? Bills minus five, Bengals a little banged up, Josh Allen a little bit iffy right now. This is going to be an exciting freaking game. I'm so excited for it. Uh, but I don't really know. I don't know what I'm leaning right now. I'm in such an emotional mangle with this game uh, because I want to bet the Bengals so badly. And everything from last year tells you to bet the Bengals. Burrow is the cover king. He's the most profitable quarterback against the spread. He covers no matter what. Buffalo's at home. They haven't had a lot of home playoff games the last couple of years. And I mean, they had one against Skylar Thompson and they almost lost. So you know, maybe, maybe that doesn't tell you much, but the big thing for me is the Bengals offensive line. They lose Lyle Collins a couple weeks ago, done for the year. They lose Alex Kappa week 18. I would say 95% chance. He's not playing again. He didn't play on Sunday night. And now Jonah Williams, their left tackle, has a dislocated kneecap that he suffered in the Ravens game. So you're talking about potentially both tackles and your best overall lineman, which is Kappa on the, as a right guard. Man, I mean, this this game on Sunday could look like the Bengals of last year in the regular season where Burrow is on his fucking ass every other play. And against, with, if the Bills pass rush is clicking on Sunday, this could be a long game. You know, this is – but again – he got sacked how many 60 times last year and they still went to the fucking Super Bowl. So there's one quarterback that's capable of overcoming a, a dog shit offensive line. It's Joe Burrow. But man, I I don't think it unless unless Jonah Williams plays and Alex Kappa somehow plays, you know, again, they're missing their three best linemen, both tackles. Burrow's going to be under pressure all day long and I, I still think maybe the five is worth of, worth taking, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think more like, you know, we talk about betting the underdog with the spread and sprinkle on the money line. You know, I might have to just bet Buffalo minus five and sprinkle Buffalo minus nine and a half as well, because 
I think this game could get ugly. But then again, it should have it should have been ugly every game last year in the playoffs, and they went to right. the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. It's funny how on the fence you are. I shouldn't bet. It's, yeah, you, you just talked yourself into each side like three different ways, and I don't <laughs> blame you because I think this is the toughest one to bet on this week because of how hard it is to bet against Joe Burrow. Um, yet I do slightly lean towards the Bills. I think they move on. Um, but five and a half seems big to me. It seems like a number that might not stay there, might get down to closer to three and a half, four by the end of the week. Um, because I think people are going to think the same way I am. Like, hey, Joe Burrow getting five points in the playoffs, this dude, on a team that's been playing good ball, albeit they didn't play great against Baltimore. Um, yeah, so I, I, it seems like a spot to me where I buy the Bengals up to something of a seven and a half, eight and a half, and I, you know, lay it with something like a, an over at an alt line in the Chiefs-Jags or something else that I find that I like that's – Probably something I'll do, but yeah, I, I only have slight leans on this game. No, like real great feel for either side. Um, but I hope that we get what we're hoping for with that game. It should be a close game. It should be a dog fight. Um, you're nuts to bet against Joe Burrow at nine and a half. I think Pat. So maybe take that last piece of advice you gave yourself and stay off or take it in a different way. Cause that seems huge to me. Well, I will say this. I'm going to make a comparison because if they're missing, Jonah Williams, Lyle. Well, they're they're definitely out. Lyle Collins definitely out. If they're missing Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa, they're all, that offensive line is decimated. And he was able to overcome a bad offensive line last year. But comparable to what the offensive line looked like for most of this season, to what it could look like on Sunday, how many people would say you're nuts for not taking the points with Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, only to watch him run around literally for his life all game, and they got absolutely annihilated. So I think that could be a possible result on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we as Giants fans know, right, the way to, to stop a guy like that, you have to get that pressure up front. So it's, I mean, that's a reasonable logic. All that's good and well. Uh, it's, you know, it's tough to bet against Joe Burrow. He's earned that to me. Yeah, I think it's not a great teaser leg because you're already at five, like you're already past the three. But you do get past the seven and you do get past the 10 if you go with a six-point traditional teaser and you get them up to plus 11, I mean, that feels like a good teaser leg to me. And that's probably going to be a, it's a cop out type of bet, but it's not when you hit in bets. Right. And I went through my teasers for the year. I, I've been pretty successful on teasers this year. And, and when I'm looking through these lines, Bengals plus 11 feels good to me. It feels like something that will come true because this should be such a hard fought game. I don't expect the bills to have the gusto and the ability to blow someone away. They haven't really done it much lately, and they've been playing to their competition. And the Bengals, um, albeit before some of those other injuries on the offensive line, came out looking good before that game got uh, you know, canceled uh, on that Monday night. So Bengals up to 11. Maybe then you take the Chiefs down to two and put those two things together. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm leaning. All right, last game. Then we can go Cowboys at the Niners. Niners opened at minus four and a half. Now I'm seeing three and a half. Spoke about it a little bit before. I'll just go quick here. I think I'm leaning towards the Cowboys. We, I kind of talked myself into it before with the Brock Purdy conversation. I think that it's just enough points to, to say you can take the Cowboys and lean on that defense to make this one tight, even if the Niners are going to win this game. I, I don't know, though, because the Niners have this ability to absolutely put people away like few other teams do, combining their offense with defense. So 
I'm a little bit remiss to make that pick, but I think that's my lean right now. What do you guys think? I, there's no instance where I can bet Dallas in this game. Mm. It's just not. I can't do it. I can't do it. So for me, this is a tease San Francisco down to the money line or even get them all the way back through to plus three and a half. Even then, I think that's playing it way too safe. Um, I think you should try to bet these games, especially in the playoffs, as much as a one-game bet as you possibly can. Right. Um, but if you do love another team, if you love Kansas City money line, you know, getting the Niners from minus four to the money line, it's probably going to be close to even off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, there's, there's no way I can bet uh, Dallas in this game. I can't. I think Mark already texted that pick in Chiefs money line and uh, and Niners money line minus one forty five. It's minus one fourteen. Oh, Chiefs, nice. <laughs> Chiefs and Niners money line minus one fourteen. Yeah, I'm with you, Pat. Though I'm definitely definitely like the Niners. Um, I just think the Cowboys have had too many ebbs and flows in the season where they've looked so great for a week and then they go out and play Washington in a game that matters and just absolutely lay a dud. Um, and it's still the playoffs, and it's still Dallas, and it's still Dak Prescott, and you've got a team in the Niners that's shown no signs of slowing down. So um, I definitely do like the Niners. I don't know that I got the balls to take the alt line, but I'll probably take the straight up. I'll probably have a money line somewhere. Um, definitely, ju- I just think San Fran's the most complete team in the NFC at this point. Fair. I, again, I don't, that's one of my stinky picks. I take the Cowboys and I hold my nose, right? Like the Niners are better overall team. I think there's a path and betting on that path might be crazy. So crazy. It just might work. Who's to say, who's to say, I'm so excited. What a great weekend. And I will be on solid ground this entire weekend. Cause last weekend back to back flights, by the way, back to back. Now I caught almost the entire Niners Seahawks game before I took off. So I didn't really need to watch the end. No Wi-Fi. Didn't work on my flight. Very upsetting. I could not watch the Jaguars come back against the Chargers. I missed that entire game. Got off my first flight on my connector. Saw it. I was like, oh my God, what the frick did I miss? Texting Mark and Pat and Cody, what's going on? Um, This week I'll be on solid ground and watching every minute of all of these games. I'm very, very pumped. Very, very pumped. All right, that's all we got. It's always sports talk. What a ride. Hour and 50 minutes for you guys. Hopefully you're enjoying it all. Uh, because I think this one was jam-packed of great conversation. So Pat and Cody cannot thank you guys enough for spending this time with me, staying up late, talking until almost midnight on Tuesday. This one could last until Saturday morning. People can listen to this one because it's relevant and it's exciting, and I think it's great conversation. So thank you, too. I'm Pete Kennedy, Subway Sports Talk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can hit the subscribe button and the notification bell so you know when we drop new videos. Thanks for listening. Enjoy some football. Cheers.